0: Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today. What they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Dr. Carissa Lee is the Head of Professional Affairs for North America at Johnson & Johnson Vision. She serves on the North American Leadership Team and oversees J&J Vision Care support of professional advocacy, education, and relations. Dr. Lee first joined Johnson & Johnson Vision in 2014 as the Director of Education. Prior to this, she owned and operated a private practice in Irvine, California, spoke to doctors across the country as a professional affairs consultant and served as the program director at the Johnson & Johnson Institute. Dr. Lee is a graduate of State University New York College of Optometry and recently completed her MBA from the University of Southern California's Marshall School of Business. She is also a proud member of the AOA and a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. Hello, Dr. Lee, welcome to the Healthcare and Hire podcast.
1: Hi, good evening, or good afternoon, or good morning.
0: It could be any one of the three, right? I guess it just depends on where the listener is and and where we are today. I'm in Chicago, where are you?
1: Uh, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida, so we're similar, sort of in the same area (laughs)
0: Excellent. Well, I hope maybe there's an international listener somewhere in like Indonesia or Saudi Arabia that might be listening to this and might be thinking, oh, this is awesome. But anyway, Dr. Lee, I'm very happy and very excited to have you on the show. There's lots for us to to talk about. I have a series of questions I want to ask because I'm very excited about having you uh, as a representative of the optometric profession on the show and, and really just understanding a lot about what you and your organization do um, why don't we take this opportunity and have you introduce yourself more formally? Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level?
1: Sure. Well, thank you. I am humbled and proud to be here uh, representing the optometric profession. And feel free to call me Carissa. There's um, no formality here needed. So I am head of uh, professional affairs for North America for Johnson & Johnson Vision and uh, my background is as an optometrist. So I was trained, um, I went to SUNY College of Optometry in New York, uh, trained there and have had a lot of different optometric experiences throughout my career. And now I'm in this role at leading the professional affairs team at Johnson & Johnson Vision.
0: Carissa, I'm gonna to have to make sure I remind her to say Carissa, not Dr. Yeah. Lee. It's just habit. Uh, but I know, one of the things that's really exciting is the fact that when when we think about Johnson and Johnson, most of the listeners are either healthcare professionals or healthcare executives. Many of them are very familiar with J and um, I mean, it's been a it's an organization that's been around for 130 years, with 130,000 employees globally. So you know, I think that most people have that perception of what size and scope and magnitude J and J is. Uh, but for J and J Vision, I think it's like really interesting to have you come on the show because you know many people are familiar with several products, uh, whether it relates to contact lenses like AccuView or over-the-counter uh, products like Blink, which, by the way, I am a uh, sworn affidavit user for because that is just <laughs> the life that we lead. Uh, And then, of course, also in the LASIK category and surgery products as well. Um, So, you know, for us to have you come on the show and and really give us some insights in terms of how you and your team work to promote not just the products, but to build the relationships between products, providers, uh, and the services that your organization does is really going to be valuable. In speaking of which, Chris, I'd, I'd like to have a better understanding of the size of your team and the work that it does. Why don't you share with us a little bit about who your team is comprised of, uh, some of the avenues of focus that you and your team do, um, and then we can kind of drill into a little bit more in terms of some of the, the recent achievements of, of j and Vision and maybe even some of the, the more focused initiatives that you and your team are working on today.
1: Sure, and you know you bring up a lot of great points. And uh, going going back to your original question about the impact in healthcare. I never knew that coming out of school as an optometrist that that this was a possibility to work for one of the largest healthcare companies in the world, um, and to create the impact as an optometrist within healthcare in general. Um, of course, specifically within vision, as you mentioned, we have a, a broad category of vision products and and who we touch. So it is a it is sometimes a, a, a weight that I feel about representing um, the industry, eye care, healthcare, doctors, patients within the company, but it's also a privilege to be there because I can be that voice and my team can be the voice of the doctors, the patients, those we serve. Um, and, and that is, I would say, one of the, the biggest reasons that I chose to move from clinic and patient care into an industry role was how J&J as a whole aligned with that with their credo and and what they stand for and so my team um, i've got a team of optometrists as well as non-optometrists so people who have not uh, trained as clinicians but we all work together and and our main area of focus is to keep the patients and the doctors at the center uh, of how we think about whether or not it's training on our products or whether or not it's um, helping our internal team to understand the nuances and the challenges that, that our doctors and patients occur out, uh, or that occur for our doctors and patients outside, um, you know, when they're prescribing these products of ours.
0: That must be an interesting opportunity, right? When you're thinking about some of the the doctors that you work with, as it relates to challenges with your products, you know, I can only imagine being a, a pharmacist by trade, applying using the products that are available as a user, as an end patient. But as a provider, there's probably some different things that you hear regularly from across the world, if not across the country, especially from you know, Canada and the United States and the variances that exist. What do you hear most from your providers where you and your team get to step in and either retrain, educate, or take back as a learning in order to improve?
1: Yeah, it, you know, it it goes across the whole gamut, but sometimes it's just stepping back and remembering, um, you know, we first and foremost are healthcare providers. And sometimes we as clinicians um, get in our own way. Sometimes we judge our patients, you know, by their pocketbooks first. And and so it's sometimes just reminding uh, each other or colleagues out there, hey, you know, what what do you see that's best for the patient that's in front of you? whether or not they can afford a product, they still, you know we still want them to be offered the solutions that you as a clinician know that is best for them. And I know our colleagues do that and they do it in the best interests of the patients. Um, but sometimes it is, you know it's almost refreshing to talk to the newer graduates and the students out there who are really eager and who haven't been jaded by, you know, the perceived competition that's out there. And I think that's just the biggest challenge that I see for the profession. Um, I'll just speak for the optometric profession, but I think this goes across all categories of healthcare is how the world is changing so quickly around us from a consumer perspective. Even me as a consumer, I consume products, information completely differently now than I did even two years ago. And so the world just is changing so quickly around us. I think it's difficult for us to feel like we can keep up as clinicians, sometimes as business owners, in a world that seems to be changing almost daily around us.
0: Krista, that's that's really spot on. I mean, it's very, very accurate because I think that, you know, for myself as well, from only speaking for myself. Uh, trying to keep and integrate new information and applying it, and then teaching others—it's a—it's two jobs, maybe three jobs in one, right? You—you you are trying to being—you're trying to stay. Uh, ahead of what you know is what learnings are being made available. You're trying to teach others, both on your team and end users, uh, and then more importantly, as a representative of your organization, you know you're trying to ensure that the right products are being prescribed and you know dispensed and used in the right manner. Um, and I think that 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 can that can weigh heavy uh, on on your on your shoulders as well as your teams. But you're also in a very interesting position, right? You get to be at a at a point where you get to see new things that are coming down the pike, you get to see how existing products uh, and existing services may not be as useful anymore and how these new products are going to change that. I'm curious to see if you've had any opportunity about what you see as it relates to how the pharmaceutical or medical industry and its ability to integrate and collaborate with healthcare providers, how that might be changing now, as well as what you see for the future in maybe 2027, like five years down the road, what does that relationship look like? And and how do you see uh, uh, professional affairs and other people that are in your position working to ensure that every party that's part of the system is maximizing what's available and getting the best results?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's a heavy question, right? It's it's about where, to me, it's about where healthcare is going, how to serve patients and, and get the better patient outcomes through our products and services, but in a way that is, um, keeps, the patient at the center and helps doctors along this journey when they're bogged down with the day-to-day and so i think that's the biggest challenge is helping them or trying to predict what's going to happen in the future so we can all as a community you know healthcare community move forward in service of better patient outcomes when you've when you've got the day-to-day phone calls you know emails staff problems, you know, supply chain problems, you, know, you can't get you know, the, the things that you need in time. So all of these, and and in particular over the last two years, I would say, I, I've just been so proud of how the community, the healthcare community has come and has been so focused on what needs to get done to keep people safe, to keep patients safe, um, in service of their healthcare. You know, people, people had a different, uh, I mean, through COVID, we, we had to focus on um, a particular illness, but at the same time, there are other people that, that had other healthcare problems that still needed needed to be taken care of. And so with all of this getting thrown at us, I think it's just been challenging to think about, okay, what's going to happen in the future? how do i make sure that my either my clinic my staff you know all the patients who i serve how do, how are we prepared for that but at the same time dealing with the the day to day things so i mean it's a it's a challenging question and um, I think one of the, the key things that I see that uh, in, in looking towards the future is how do we as a healthcare community take care of a patient in a holistic manner? So, you know, in, in terms of optometry, um, many doctors, and I would say this is the trend for optometry is we're, we don't just take care of eyeballs, right? We look at eyeballs and that's our area of expertise, but at the same time, they're connected to the rest of the body. So, as you know, just in general, whether you're in pharmacy, whether you're seeing a patient for routine care, uh, routine health care, whether you're a surgeon, how do we connect all of our data together in service of the patient to think about their well-being as a as a whole human and not just a body part?
0: i'm I'm glad that you said that. I've had, I mean, a lot of my friends are optometrists, right? And, you know, when you're first exposed to a a healthcare professional in a different discipline, you sort of bring in that stereotype, right? Oh, a podiatrist only is going to deal with the feet. There's nothing else. It's not connected at all. Optometry, same thing. Audiology or, you know, dentistry, all the same thing. And in reality, you're right. It's a very complex. The human body is a very complex, integrated, uh, and, you know, it's a very unique system and i think that one of the things that i appreciate about guests like you that come on the show is the ability to explain hey we, you can say that we are the I, the, uh, the eye specialist right but in reality we're also a contributing you know we're we're a major uh diagnoser of disease states uh, that can we can now help patients be referred to um, and other specialists and, and, and in different areas. Crystal, can you share with us a little bit about what your day to day looks like? You mentioned something that really caught my ear, right? Like the uh, every day between. Uh, you know, emails, meetings, whether they're Zoom meetings or, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft team meetings, but or even now back to in-person meetings. But a lot of the things that we hear mostly is, you know, just about uh, constantly strategizing about how to position ourselves in a better role uh, or in a better light, how to make sure that we're increasing our efficiencies. But, you know, for the listeners of the uh, the podcast today, you know, I think a lot of the things that get missed are what does that look like on a Monday through Friday basis? Uh, and I'd just love to have a glimpse. I mean, again, no, no incredible details or rich details <laughs> required, uh, but you know, how do you structure your day to make sure that you give your best to the ones that need you the most at work and still have enough to be able to give back to yourself and your family?
1: Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question. Um, and I, I have to say, I am not... Perfect at it, and I'm still a work in progress there too. I mean, honestly, the day to day, I think uh, what's different than when it was in patient care was I could really, uh, I could really predict what my day was lo- looking like. I mean, certainly you've got those patients who who might take a little bit more time than expected and and throw your schedule off, but the day to day that I that I deal with now outside of patient care is very different and it's um I would say a lot more planning so when I was in clinical practice and I would see a patient in front of me it was more about okay what is the problem right in front of me right now how do I solve it what's the diagnosis how do I treat it what's the plan of action uh in the role that I have in particular, you know, leading the team and being on the leadership team of, of North America, it is about what is going to happen further in the future than you know, what's the problem right in front of me. And that is the big challenge um, every day is prioritization and focus. And uh, a big learning that I've had over the last year, actually last two years is when we can focus and we put our efforts collectively as a group. So I would say not just my team, but at the whole organization and in particular in the US, you can do great things, but it takes a lot of effort. And unfortunately, it took a pandemic for us to kind of stop everything that we were doing to say, okay, what is the most important thing out there? Which was how do we keep our patients safe? How do the doctors stay safe while still taking care of patients? Um, Again, it wasn't about contact lenses. It was about eye care and eye health and getting patients what they needed. So I think one of the biggest learnings that I've had coming into uh, an industry role is really about focus and prioritization. And like I said, it's a work in progress because fire drills come up every single day and you have to have to be able to manage them, but but also prioritize them and and just knock them out. Um, in the order that, that you've got to set, set up.
0: <laughs> that, that requires a certain skill, Chris. I think we both know that. And I'm glad that yeah. you called that out because it's not, not everybody can, can look at the plate that's in front of them full of all of these tasks and you know requests and deliverables and decide today's the day that this gets done. And Friday is the day that that gets done because that's just how it's going to go. I'm glad to hear that from you as well. You
1: Sorry, I was just going to add, that's probably something I could have done a lot better as a practice owner. So when I was in, in business is being able to, to set aside those kind of longer term goals and, and knock them out in a, a prioritized manner. So I, I would have trained my younger self how to do that a lot better in, in, in practice. <laughs>
0: Uh, we wish we could all go back in time and be better. I know. I Believe me, I've got a laundry list of things that I would like to go back and change. But, you know, we learn through the process and the experience and it makes us better people. So I'm glad that you said that too. Carissa, being the head of professional affairs for all of North America, that means you have to not only just work with different providers and different uh, bodies. You know, I'm sure that there's a lot of regulatory agencies that you also have to collaborate with or learn from, but you're working at least across like two different countries, right? My understanding, and is Mexico also part of your purview? So technically
1: Mexico is, is part of Latin America. We do, um, you know, Puerto Rico is, is out there too. And, and so technically they have uh, they're part of Latin America, but we, we love helping out Puerto Rico as much as we can as well. Um, But it is, you know, it's, it's a challenge because I would, I would say just for the U S sometimes it is like working with 50 different countries because each of the States have different regulatory laws uh, and uh, it's, they don't all talk to each other in the same way. And the licensure is not the same in every state. I mean, this goes across, across healthcare as well, uh, but it is, yes, but we 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 love all our states. We love all our countries too, that we, that we work with, including Canada.
0: Yeah, so, the, and and that was the question, right? Like, how do you manage to, I don't wanna say compartmentalize because that's not necessarily the nicest way of putting it, but when you're dealing with, you know, six states that are, let's just call them the Midwest states and all six states have like different rules that apply for, you know, the number of bo- the number of contacts that can be dispensed or, you know, how frequently uh, a patient has to come in for an exam in order to fr- to keep that prescription valid. And then you go north of the border and they have like a completely completely different set of rules. Like, you know, how do you manage to, you know, work? I mean, clearly working with different people, uh, with different mindsets, it's part of the job, right. But, you know, building relationships with them based upon knowledge, I think is also a critical piece. Are there any tips and tricks that you have as, you know, in your role today that you have said, this is what has helped me keep it all together from California to New York, up to, you know, uh, Manitoba. I I can, I'm able to do this well.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the great thing is that we have experts on the ground, right? So that there are people in all of these areas who know the customers really well. So our, in particular our sales reps, they know the customers, they know their biggest challenges. Um, honestly, I think the biggest learning is always from the doctors and the patients themselves. So making sure we're listening to what their problems are, what their needs are, you know, as you mentioned in the Midwest, they might have very different challenges than those on the West Coast or the East Coast. I mean, we saw this during COVID and during the pandemic, there were some states that were just completely shut down and there were other states that were open. And so in the states that were shut down, they had really different challenges that they were dealing with. Than in the states that were open. And so it, it's just making sure that we keep a pulse wherever these doctors and patients are. And then again, trying to prioritize okay, what can we, how can we support, how can we help uh, quickly? What can we do? Is there training involved? Are there services that we can prioritize that will help these doctors and patients um, in, in a better way? So it, again, it goes back to let's let's go back to that prioritization list so that we can focus and create impact. Otherwise, you're just you really are spreading spreading yourself too thin.
0: Agreed, agreed. Krista, you've had a really remarkable career. From from what I've had uh, an opportunity to to learn from you, and also just kind of reading a little bit about your bio. Like since you graduated from SUNY, you also went on and got your MBA. You're also a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. Um, You were serving as a program director at Vision Care Institute while you were also a consultant, I believe, at VistaCon. Um, all the while that you were taking care of patients as well, uh, and then you moved into this role with Johnson. Well, actually, you moved and you became, you joined Johnson and Johnson as a director of education, and then you became and then and now you are in this role today uh, as the head of professional affairs for North America. It's a it's a remarkable story because I love when guests you know represent you know uh, what success looks like through action um, and through experience, and I'm really glad that you said yes to being on the show because. I think what I always value and understanding in these types of conversations is at each step of your journey, uh, you know, you've had to make decisions that had to weigh the pros and cons of saying yes, right? Maybe you had become very comfortable being a consultant for Vista, at VistaCon, uh, or maybe you were, you know, a subject matter expert at being a program director at Vision Care Institute, but when that opportunity presented itself, like you had to think about. You know do I want to say goodbye to what I've already established and created uh, and and embrace this uncertainty that lies before me? So when I think about your current role and when you you know embraced it, like I'd love to understand a little bit about what went into your thought process to say, Yes, I think I'm going to say yes to this opportunity that's been presented to me. And what well, were either some professional factors that went into your consideration and maybe even some personal conversations that you had to have with yourself, loved ones to decide, you know, how is this going to impact the larger Carissa Lee rather than just, oh, it's obviously the next step in my in my career, or this is like obviously the next path, uh, you know, in my career advancement journey, how did you come to those, you know, decisions?
1: Well, you know, that saying yes, as you describe it, it sounds really easy, but these, each time I said yes was very difficult. Um, and in particular, I, you know, I think of myself as a very typical, um, optometrist. So I, I can get very comfortable and almost complacent sometimes and doing, um, you know, for example, when I was running my practice, I, I thought that that was what I was going to do for the next 30 years. And I would retire and um, I would be a PTA mom and be at all the things that my, you know, I just had this image in my head of what my life would be like. And little did I know there were, you know, different pathways along my journey that, that I would decide to take. And so saying yes, the first time, and I will tell you, it was, uh, saying yes to being a consultant for, for Johnson & Johnson. That was the first big step that I took because I actually said no first. And if the person on the other end of the line who was asking me to try this role hadn't pushed me to to say yes or to try it out, you know, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't be here. So it was almost like once you take that Sleep. And, and I I could probably tell you that the reason I said no so quickly first was probably because I was scared to, to take that next step, uh, to do something that was outside of my comfort zone and not know if I would succeed or you know, be really good at it. I think a lot of times we talk about um, imposter syndrome or uh, not necessarily feeling good enough to be in that role per se, and I would say, you know, I I don't know I I when I reflect on that, that's probably the first gut reaction of why I said no, but I am so happy that I said yes because it has opened so many doors and it's actually shown me that there's fun things to do out there that are fulfilling uh, from not only just a career perspective, but also at a personal level. I mean, the, the voice and the weight of the voice that I feel within the company as a healthcare provider or as a clinician who knows patients, who knows doctors and can be that voice on a, at a leadership level, um, that, that impact I feel is uh, only because I said yes. And uh, only because I did take those those steps and walk through those doors, so I I would say it's really to me it's been almost by chance that these opportunities have come up, but in a way, I, I do think the. um, Taking that first step through the door has opened my mind and my mindset to allow others to to reach out to me as well for other opportunities. So I, I do think it's a mindset that you can change. And once you're there, then then honestly, you can go through any door you want.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. And Carissa, you mentioned that there was a a strong ambassador that, or a supporter of yours that encouraged you to take this, take a chance. Just, just, why don't you just try this out? Do you remember who that individual was?
1: Yeah. So, well, the first person who offered me that role, his name is, is uh, Dr. Derek Artis. So he is also an autometrist and was working for uh, Johnson & Johnson at the time. I would say that my strongest supporter and the reason that I can do this role or any of the roles that I, I have, um, is my husband. Because without him as that strong partner, and I have two kids, so I have two boys, and my, as I was mentioning before, I had a very different career path and role uh, in my mind that I thought about than where I am now. And I wouldn't be able to have such a fulfilling career in, you know, as as an, a, a head of North the North American professional affairs team, if I didn't have that support and partnership of, of my husband. So, um, the funny thing is when I was actually Made the decision to move from California to Jacksonville when I became um, decided to start working for the company. I was reading Lean In, and part of the discussion is about hey, one of the biggest things that you can do to support women in the workplace is do the dishes at home (laughs) and be a great partner and not have that burden because sometimes it did go through this period. I call it mommy guilt where i felt like i needed to be all things to all people i needed to be the pta mom for my kids i needed to you know have dinner ready or you know choose between work and being at home or being with kids and in reality to have a fulfilling career and to feel purposeful in what i do um, i i just wouldn't have been able to do it without a, a strong partner
0: yeah, communication and collaboration with with a significant other is is so crucial. it's It's pivotal to one's success. Um, yeah. I'm the same way. I've got a wife that allows me to do this podcast uh, and allows me to also, you know do the other things that I enjoy doing at the same time. I know I have a responsibility of vacuuming every so often. So I do my best. Uh, maybe once every two weeks, I think I'm on film. Yeah. Uh, I'm not off the hook, but certainly, you know, I'm doing my part. Chris, let's go back a little bit to the beginnings of your professional journey. I'd like to understand, because I think a lot of clinicians and healthcare providers have, as you pointed out, like there's this ideology, you know, this is like fairy tale that we create for ourselves that, hey, I'm going to go do this. And if I do this, then the next step will be that. And I will receive all of these benefits and this cycle will continue. Uh, and we sort of get trained like that through the school that we attend just because that's how schools you know want to lay down a foundation of knowledge but you know when we get into the real world uh, all that theory meets practicality and suddenly theory is not necessarily exactly what we thought it was going to be what i'd like to hear from you Carissa, is is there a life lesson that maybe you learned early on in your professional career that changed the way that you approach people processes or problems Maybe you used to have this idea that this is how it's going to be. Something happened uh, and boom, you realize that that was not the way it was going to work. And now because of that, you have a better approach to how to fix things.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is probably how most of us start out, because when especially if you know you want to go into healthcare care and, and go into some sort of graduate school or, or school after college. The, it's almost like everything has to be planned. There's certain tests that you need to take. There's certain scores that you you know you try to get, and preparation and prerequisites, and you know there's the series of steps that you follow to get to where we are as as healthcare professionals. And so I think that one of the things that you know, in my head, again, I pictured when I was graduating from school was that my life was going to be a certain way. And it just didn't work out that way. And I think that was the biggest lesson for me was not getting what I thought what would happen, which was, um, I would start my own practice out of school, and I would have this wonderful job Monday through Friday and not have to work on weekends. And, you know, I found myself just working in different areas of practice, which ended up being to my benefit, especially when I opened my own business, because I I was able to have such a range of experiences that I knew what to do when I, I knew what exactly what I wanted when I did open my own business. I, I think that there were a series of events that happened along my professional career that helped me really shape my mind because I had a completely different mindset coming out of school or even going into school than I do right now. And I think the biggest lesson or, or thing that can, can be shared is that you really can't predict what's going to happen. And so I had to learn how to keep my mind open for those opportunities. And if I was curious, or if it piqued my interest is just go after it. So you don't wait for things to be perfect, or, um, you know, you don't wait for that job description that fits exactly all of your great qualities. If it piques your interest, if it sounds exciting, you know, why, why not try? And The beauty, I think, of the healthcare profession, and I'll I'll say specifically optometry, is that you have the ability to dabble. So you have the ability, for example, to go into R&D part-time and not necessarily, and just get a taste of it and get the experience, or do consulting like I did and get to work a little bit closer with companies. Um, I think that goes across all healthcare professions, but uh, in particular, I think, Especially these days, you know you, there's so many opportunities out there. I mean, just look at you and and um, you know what you've built in the businesses and and series that you've built.
0: Thank you. and and you are absolutely right. Uh, so Carissa, you know you said something that I want to go back to. Like whatever piques your interest, pursue that. right? Like it should be yeah. you know a consistent feeding of your curiosity, of your energy and of your passion. Um, And so that begs me to ask the question in your role today, what is it that consistently piques your interest uh, and inspires you every day to do what you do?
1: I, well, that and that's a great question because I think that there's, sometimes I have a problem with being too curious. (laughs) There's so many things out there that I wanna learn about data. I wanna learn more about behavioral science. I wanna learn more about um, motivation, what drives people, how we can help Um, expand access and and improve patient outcomes. And so it is again about like reining it in. I've got to tell myself that every day um, is, you know, focus on what what your priorities are. But I think it is about, um, to me, it's about the mindset of being of learning constantly and being open to that and knowing that there's so much out there to learn. And so what really drives me is about the impact that I personally can have on patients, on doctors, on my company, and how we can drive that. You know, an example would be uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it's something that I've always been passionate about. We've always had a strong culture within j of diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the, just until recently, I didn't realize the impact that I could have on the communities that we serve through the actions that I do or that I drive or elevate or prioritize. So that's been really fulfilling to see that in action and to say, you know, this is something that I'm passionate about. How can I have this be a passion, a personal passion, as well as something that I pull through in my work? Um, and I love that aspect about what I can do is just bringing my whole self to work and being able to live, live through that. Um, and I would say it's, it's not necessarily just about race and ethnicity. It is about diversity of thought, diversity of background uh, and inclusion and how everybody gets elevated. When you can learn to embrace it, it's going to cause friction. It's going to cause a lot of tough conversations, but when you can embrace it and, and use it, then honestly, everybody, um, all ships rise.
0: I like that statement. Yeah, I use that a lot too. When a rising tide lifts all ships, Uh, and I think that's really important to remember. Uh, No matter what we're talking about, right? Whether it's just supporting somebody else uh, that is from your from your community, or whether it's somebody from your healthcare discipline, you know, however you want to view that, um, being supportive of other people that align with your ideals is going to be crucial because if they win, you win, we win. That's always the way that I've approached things. And one of the reasons why I actually started this podcast was for that reason, in the sense that, you know, and again, it was just the way that we grew up, right? I'm 50 years old. I am definitely an older uh, individual. But, you know, the whole time I was growing up uh, in my world of pharmacy, even working with a lot of medical doctors, like the, the verticals that existed for people of color were very limited in terms of representation. You didn't see a lot of uh, you know Indians and Pakistanis or Koreans and Chinese that moved beyond the department head or the 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 manager level, and you know I'm so glad that you know I've had uh, other representatives from different healthcare disciplines come on the show and be that that beacon for another generation of 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 Indians and and Mexicans and just a variety of different people, not just again from a community perspective, but these individuals have had other experiences that normally are not talked about or even visible to the larger community. So when you think about, you know, making products uh, for i mean, I'll give you a great example. Right now, it's Ramadan. I'm Muslim. Right. So when you think about certain medications that need to be taken three times a day that three times a day becomes pretty subjective when you think about what time am I going to be taking it? If it's at three in the morning, and then again, you know, at like eight o'clock at night, do I need to wake up at some point in the middle and, and time that out, but those conversations have to take place. So that's a great call out, Carissa. And again, I appreciate you, you bringing that to the forefront.
1: Yes, it's important.
0: Great. Absolutely. Krista, you have so you've already accomplished so much in your career, and you have so much more to do. I'm curious if there's something on your professional bucket list that you're that you're vying for to complete uh, or to do in the next five or ten years. Is there something that you've set as a target when you think about you know? I, I really enjoy the impact I've had on the teams that I'm working with within the organization, externally, and on my profession. But out there is still something more for me to do. And that's what I'm going to work towards. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, and that's a that's a tough one to, again, think about what is it that what's the first thing that I want to do um, out there and, and how I can create more impact? I think that the area that I am thinking about a lot lately is, again, about how do we come together as as a group, whether it's healthcare providers, whether it's um, groups across, you know, you were talking about different um, professionals in different states, you know, coming together as a profession, coming together as a company even, and creating bigger impact by holding hands. Because I do see a lot of individual groups working towards similar goals but when I think about the impact that can be created when we all hold hands and focus on, you know, the same goal, and attacking the problem, I, I can I just think of the power that we we have together. So part of that also is through just being able to tap into data. So when I was talking about thinking about a patient in a holistic manner, for example, how do we work with other healthcare professionals, podiatrists, for example, um, and optometrists? How can we work together using patient data in a way that uh, preserves their privacy, but at the same time can create a better life, better outcome for them, uh, in a more holistic manner. So those that's the that's the thing that I, that I think about, and how do, how do we do this? How do we do it better?
0: So have you signed up for a blockchain course on Udemy or anything of that nature?
1: I have learned. So you know, part of that is again, I have a whole list of courses on Udemy that I have not taken um, all of them, but it is. I, I have to say, when I did my MBA. I was exposed to so many different things, blockchains, um, cryptocurrency, all of those types of things that I was like, I have, as an optometrist, like I have no idea what that meant before. I mean, I still don't profess to know, know everything about them, but that was one of the reasons that I decided to, to really go back and do my MBA was there's so much out there that I don't know. What is it that's going to pique my interest next? And how do I tap into that, um, using the collective knowledge of people that are really so much smarter than I am (laughs) in these areas.
0: Yeah, and I bring up Udemy because it's one of my favorite go to's. I mean, there's a whole bunch of classes and courses that I'm like, yes, you know, check, 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 I will be doing this soon. Uh, Blockchain is one. Crypto is another. AI is a lot of my interest as well, uh, as well as a lot of uh, the tools and technology for marketing, because a lot of that is um, I haven't really gotten into the metaverse concepts and and how that's going to play out. But I do love reading about how retail companies are starting to get faster and more vested in the metaverse. It's remarkable crazy. to see the pace of of change in that space. Really remarkable. It is.
1: It is, and and this is where I feel like my kids are now going to be teaching me things about how the world works instead of the other way around. It's it's I feel like they it's going to start flipping pretty soon. But it is. I mean, all of the things that you mentioned, to me it's about how do we tap into that and use it and shape it? to our advantage right there's so much out there that is just i feel like it's just being formed and out there and how do we shape it in the way that's best for what we're trying to do
0: i think your kids are going to be able to sell you an nft at some point and you if you can encourage that you'll be like <laughs> mom of the year i'll right? like, be like sure. oh, I'm, I'm teaching my children on how to you know become entrepreneurial and you know working with these new tools So you're absolutely right and I think that that's a it's a it's a weird place to be, but it's a remarkable tipping point to be able to observe and and be a part of as well. So love this conversation. I really do. I'm having a great time with this. I know. Um, Yeah. So, Krista, let me ask you this. You know, when you think about You know, one of the reasons why I invite uh, the leaders on on this show is because they're also in a very interesting position. Not only are they leading teams and helping their teams become better in certain avenues, but they themselves are on a leadership journey. Uh, and whether it's you know consuming information from TikTok to YouTube um, or reading books from you know subject matter experts or or influencers or however that might look, uh, you know, there's always an opportunity to build ourselves and then build up others. Is there a particular resource that you use for your own personal lead, uh, leadership development? And or share with your group for leadership development and personal growth that you would recommend to others on this show today to go grab to read and why?
1: Yeah, I you know I am, I call myself an avid reader um, and I used to I, I used to consume books like crazy. Now to me it's about um, listening to books. So I you know when I'm out in the garden trying to decompress. It's about listening and learning um, through either Audible or, you know, using the library. I have a Libby app that I'm listening to all the time, or you know, in the car now that I'm commuting back and forth to work. Um, and so, as I mentioned before, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. So it's it's I, I think the areas that really interest me are around behavioral or social science and how things that we don't always connect affects things that we do in, you know, whether it's culturally or in our communities or personally. So, you know, I consume anything, anything by Renee Brown. I'm, I'm there. I love her dare to lead book and, and how she talks about vulnerability and how we can bring our whole selves um, and also making sure that we are also I'll say communicating as effectively as we can with others, especially in the in the business world. And I would say that this would even have applied when I had staff members that I would was working with. So, I love um, I loved radical candor by Kim Scott, where she talks about you know you've got to be clear, you've got to be communicate, but you also have to. people around you who you you may be having some challenging or harsh conversations with them they have to know where you're coming from and so again it's for me it's about being transparent about the why why am i doing something why am i asking them to do something um but i as i mentioned it's to me it's about kind of tapping into why people do things and and the behaviors and the outcomes and how to on the shape that, in a way that brings their best self out um, through me, maybe having some conversations with them.
0: I think you're the second person that's mentioned radical candor, so I'm going to add that to my list because it sounds like a really interesting, really interesting read.
1: Yes, it is. I and also, I mean, I I love one of the things that I loved about coming into a group like Johnson and Johnson. Is being surrounded by really smart people who will challenge, who challenge the way that I think. So, you know, I've I've got friends who are clinicians, you know, my college friends, my optometry school friends, um, people I surround myself with. But it is about being, and and again, I go back to that diversity of thought. Is people challenge me within the company, and even though. I might not like it at the time, it really elevates the conversation and makes me think about, wow, you know, they do have a point and how can we think about this differently or attack it differently? But again, it's, it's not that they're challenging me, they're challenging the thought or the idea or, you know, whatever that is. So again, making sure I, I can remove myself from that that situation at a personal level. but being around really smart people will always um, elevate elevate you.
0: <laughs> agreed, agreed. And I like how you're able to understand that it's not the person that they are attacking. it's the person it's the professional opportunity to grow in that space. So that's really a great call out. So when you think about your team, and even above and beyond that, when you've had to be on interviews with other groups, uh, where you're talking to candidates or looking to promote somebody from your team, I'm sure there's certain qualities that you look for in an individual to determine, you know, is this person going to be a good fit, not just for our company, but for this department and the value that they can bring? And a lot of the listeners that are listening today are looking, you know, are are tuning in because they want to understand how they can advance their career. What are the things that they need to bring to the table and represent in in a professional, concise capacity? Uh, So I always ask, you know, my guests now, like, what are the three things that you look for in a in a person to determine if they're worthy of a hire or or a promotion?
1: Yeah. That and that's a really great question. I think. The first thing that I look for or I'm I'm listening for is their mindset, you know, how do they think are they do they have a fixed mindset, do they have an open mindset, a growth mindset. Um, What is their process of solving problems so to me that's that's the first thing I look for I also look for um, you know what what is driving them so what is their what is motivating them in the sense of how how do they feel fulfilled or how do they how would they feel accomplished the other thing that i look for too is how can they communicate do they talk about things and um in stories can they give me clear examples um, or is it much more general? So I do like um, candidates who can show me through their experiences really solid examples of, of maybe the answer to the question or a, a, uh, an example that they can give me. Um, and it's, it is about, uh, not necessarily about their subject matter expertise, but, in those examples, I like to see the experiences that they've had. So they don't have to be the master of contact lenses to work for Johnson and Johnson Vision, but I would like to see how their experiences can add value to um, to our business.
0: Excellent. And I think that that's really important for the listeners to hear. I think that a lot of times people come in with the understanding that it's only their technical gifts, uh, that's going to help them move into the next level. And, and I'll be very honest and transparent. It was one of the things that held me back in the early part of my career as well, believing that I had mastered the responsibilities of my current role without ever really understanding what was required at the next level uh, and fine-tuning those skills as well. So that's really important as well. Krista, you've shared so many pearls of wisdom, so many great valuable insights uh, you know, throughout this conversation. You know, I always ask my guests as a, as a final question, you know, if there's one piece of advice um, or one extra, one extra uh, insight that you would want the audience to know when it comes to advancing their career, what would that be? And this could be even relevant if you could go back in time, like we talked about earlier in this, tutorial, mm-hmm. like if you could go back in time and change something um, or talk to your younger self and say, hey, Carissa, don't worry, you're going to be fine. I just need you to make sure that you do this. <laughs> like, what would that this be well
1: you know to me that would be networking and i know that networking or at least when i thought about it as a student or you know people would say you need to 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 go out there and network i didn't know what that meant you know i didn't what am i supposed to do do i just go and shake hands and introduce myself and that's networking And what I found and the reason I say that is because every single role that I've had, every single job that I've had is because of the network of people that I knew. And it wasn't uh, just me going out and shaking hands, but it's also about putting yourself out there and telling people what you want to do. Or what you're curious about or what you love and what you're passionate about because people naturally want to help you succeed um and they want to be a part of that right so they they want to they want to help people and elevate people and also um be be along for the ride right and and feel that they are have created an impact on on other people's careers and, and lives and so i would say networking from a sense of Don't be afraid to put it out there and reach out to people. Um, I've had people reach out directly to me and ask me questions. And I I love talking to them and and offering what I can or learning about them because I learn so much from the people that have reached out to me as well. So it's, again, not just going out and shaking hands, but really telling people what you're passionate about and allowing people to help you um, to say yes.
0: Thank you for that, carissa. the The value add as part of the networking process is really important uh, because you're right. It's not just a matter of shaking hands and, oh, hey, you know, I know you because you know John, and we both know John, and therefore now we're you know we're set and we can move forward. Like no, there has to be value from both sides uh, and receptiveness on both sides as well. Carissa, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing a lot of your insights and a lot of your your professional journey with us. I'm really honored that you were on the show and I'm looking forward to seeing you continue to take healthcare to a higher level.
1: Thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Higher podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career, build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode, but until then... Let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.